This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I am your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and UFC 284 is in the rearview mirror. Pound for pound number one versus pound for pound number two has been determined, and we have a reigning and defending UFC lightweight champion in Islam Makhachev after a closely contested classic between himself and Alexander Volkanovsky. And yeah, I mean, classic might not sound like what that fight was if you were watching it and not really taking into consideration the levels involved in that fight because that was a fight that was basically almost fought to perfection by both sides. Like, you can tell why these two are the elite of the elite when you watch them compete because there was such little room for error over the course of that 25 minutes. And both of those guys, I thought, put on a great performance in terms of what they were capable of that night. I thought that they, they really brought to the table the best of what each of them can, break, can do on any given night. And uh, it was an extremely close fight. I thought that uh, it really kind of came down to how people score rounds two and three. Now, on fight night, when I watched this main event, my first impression was that Alexander Volkanovsky had edged out Islam Makhachev. I had it 48-47 for Alexander Volkanovsky. Today, I went back and re-watched it because I wanted to watch it with a fresh set of eyes. And let me explain what that means. So, when I watch a fight on fight night, I'm taking it all in. I'm listening to what the commentary is saying. I'm listening to the crowd. I'm feeling the emotions that one would feel when they're watching a competition for the very first time live. It's a very different approach than watching a fight through the eyes of a judge. Through the eyes of somebody sitting cage side, feet from the action, solely focused on the scoring criteria and how each and every movement, strike, grappling exchange, everything how that looks in accordance to the scoring criteria. Not how, not how they thought the fight went or who they thought won that round. Who they thought won that round based on the set of guidelines that they are given to assess each sequence. Not just each round, but each sequence. And then, of course, the cumulative resonance of each of those particular sequences to make a determination on who won that round. Now, when I'm watching live, I can't do that with the same faculties as a judge watching the fight because I need to take everything into consideration. As somebody who covers the sport, I need to look at the statistics and try to come up with interesting parallels that can be drawn from those statistics. I've got to think about the story. What happens if Islam wins? What what happens if Volkanovsky pulls off the upset? All of those things are going through my mind at the time. That makes it difficult for me to make a clear determination as to who's winning the round based on the scoring criteria. So when I watched that second round, I saw what looked like Islam Makhachev getting stumbled and dropped by a strike that ended up being Islam Makhachev shooting for a takedown in order to evade the incoming striking of Alexander Volkanovsky, as well as utilizing perhaps his best method of victory in that moment. So watching it back was massive because I was able to rewind it several times and say, okay, well, I thought he got dropped when I watched it live and it turns out he didn't. 
You see, giving a scorecard on fight night is not something that you need to cling on to for dear life. It's okay to go back and re-examine these things to give yourself a clearer picture of what you may or may have not have seen that night. Like, you know, when that fight's going on, it's after midnight. I woke up earlier that morning because I've got three kids. You know, like, I can't watch it with as clear of a set of eyes as I can on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, I already know the result, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, that, you know, the correct result or that the judges, they might have missed something cage side as well. We have to keep that in consideration because oftentimes you'll see there's a prolonged period of that fight where one of the judges was basically, they, they had the two guys right up on the cage where they are, but it's hard for you to discern which strikes are landing impactfully if you have kind of an impaired view or an obstructed view. So to go back and watch it on a Monday or a Sunday or whenever you choose to rewatch it is so crucial because you can then watch it with a different set of eyes focused strictly on the scoring. And that's what I did today. And I ended up changing my score to 48-47 for Islam Makhachev. I gave Makhachev rounds one, two, and four. So let me just break it down round by round. I thought the first round was a pretty clear Islam round. I thought that uh, Volkanovsky was switching stances, was really trying to overwhelm the CPU of Islam Makhachev, make it difficult for Makhachev to get a read on him. And I think ultimately... It was a tale of two rounds. I thought the first half of the round, Volkanovski looked good. Then the second half of the round, you saw Islam kind of stumble. Volkanovski drop him to one knee and then utilize his grappling. And I thought it was a very clear round for him. Second round, I thought this round was a lot closer than people made it out to be. A lot of people made it out to be like a slam dunk Islam round. And I saw it for Volkanovski on fight night. And then I watched it again today. And it was still a really, really close round that could really be decided by, again, me mistakenly thinking that Islam had kind of gotten stumbled by a shot that made him to, you know, that, that kind of made him drop and then go for a takedown, as opposed to him methodically looking to take down Volkanovsky. In terms of the actual striking in that, in that round, I thought it was still fairly close. I don't think it was necessarily a slam dunk clear round for Makhachev, but I ended up um, valuing what Makhachev did a little bit more than Volkanovsky on rewatch. Um, he had a really nice check hook late in the round that kind of, you know, you could see kind of changed the look on Volkanovsky's face. That round to me was really still really close, but I, I had to give it to Islam. Third round, another close round, one that I gave to Volkanovsky on fight night and gave to Volkanovsky on rewatch because I thought that Volkanovsky's leg kicks were, were the big difference maker in that round. I thought it really kind of uh, chipped away at the foundation of Islam Makhachev and made it difficult for Islam to continue to implement the wrestling game plan because his legs, you know, when you take out the legs, makes it harder to, to, to shoot with the full force that you'd be able to in, say, the first round before your legs are attacked. And I thought that Volkanovsky did a really good job in that round of, of kind of attacking the foundation of Makhachev. I gave him that round. Fourth round is a really interesting one. Because when I was watching it live, you know, I... I I thought, what's Islam doing on the ground to win, to you know score? And the answer was not a whole lot. He took Volkanovski down. He had him in a good body triangle. And the judges, you, you'll hear different opinions from them on how they score body triangles. Personally, I think it does score. I, you know, I, I don't give it a lot of weight, but I give it some weight. But what I took away from that round is if you watch the first 
I guess it's minute and a half or minute where that foot, that fight is actually on the feet. It's Islam landing the better shots. So even if Islam holds Volkanovski there for the duration of the round, which he did, and does absolutely nothing, and Volkanovski's punching backwards, from what I've learned from taking judging courses, they value what takes place on the feet a lot more than what you're able to land from a short distance. And what I mean by a short distance is like if, you, if, you're, if somebody's controlling you or say you're on bottom and you're landing elbows from bottom, there's only so much damage that those can do in terms of fight-ending sequences. You rarely see fight-ending sequences from fighters on their back. I mean, one of them actually happened with Randy Brown, not on this card, but previously against Nico Price. You don't see big ground strikes from bottom or from an, a disadvantageous grappling position actually resulting in fight-ending sequences, whereas you oftentimes see damaging strikes on the feet resulting in fight-ending sequences, and that's because they have more impact. And impact is essentially what the judges are looking for. So that's why I gave Islam Khachev that fourth round. The grappling, I think, is a bonus, and I think that was what allowed him to neutralize Volkanovski after doing the better work on the feet earlier in the round. And the fifth round, I think, is a very clear Volkanovski round, although I'm hearing some people say that perhaps it should have been a 10-8. Uh, I, I strongly disagree with that. I think that Volkanovski won that round clearly, clear 10-9, but I didn't see enough damage, dominance, or duration to really give that uh, a 10-8. Um, the dominance, maybe, you could give of, of the 3Ds. Maybe that's probably the one that you would be able to give Volkanovski. But he certainly didn't have the damage, and the duration was not there either. So that's a 10-9 round. Probably a textbook 10-9 round, really, in terms of a clear 10-9. And I thought that the first round for Makhachev was also a clear 10-9. So ultimately... I gave Makhachev three of two, three out of five rounds. I gave Volkanovski two rounds. But a really, really close fight. And anybody who's saying it's a robbery, like they're out of their mind. And anybody who says that 49-46 is a bad scorecard, I don't agree with that either. I think if you're looking at close rounds, one thing people think about judging is like, oh, it's a close fight, you have to score it closely. It's not how it works. You can have a close fight that's 50-45. If you're looking round by round and you're a judge... The first round, let's say you thought, oh, fighter A, I thought they, they just edged it out by one big strike. That, that I, I give them that round based on one little, little thing. They're not looking at round two being like, well, I gave the first round to that guy. Let, let's just give the other guy the, the next round. That's not how it works. They look at fights round by round. After each round, they hand in the scorecards. So they can't go back and change it. They can't say like, well, they can't go and even consult it and be like, well, I scored the first round for this guy. Their job is to score the round. Given the scorecard, and then score the next round. And sometimes they'll take into consideration the cumulative damage done in previous rounds, targeted areas, etc. That kind of thing is only normal and probably encouraged. But um, judges aren't thinking like, well, this is a close fight, I need to score closely. No, 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 no. They're scoring round by round. So giving Islam 49-46 and giving him rounds 1 through 4, I think is totally fair. Like, I, I don't have an issue with it. I, I don't agree with it. But I certainly understand it. Because if you watch rounds 2, 3, and 4 back, like, I don't think you can make a case that Volkanovski won all three of those rounds. Like, personally, I don't see a great case for Volkanovski winning round 4. Some people might. I kind of explained before why I don't. But that's why, you know, if you gave Volkanovski 2, 3, 5, I think that's a totally fine scorecard as well. After watching in hindsight, I don't agree with it, and I don't think that that's what I would have scored it if I was a judge sitting cage side that night focusing on what was in front of me. Although, again, 
all three judges have different vantage points in case one of them misses something. And if one of them misses something, you're hoping that the other two judges can see it clearly enough that they give the round to the right person. So, very interesting fight. Very high-level fight. And the big question for me now is, who in the rankings is going to be pound-for-pound number one? At the time of this recording, is not out. If I had to bet on it, I think Islam is still is going to be the number one pound-for-pound fighter when those ratings come, come out. Because I often think that the, rating, the rankings people say, this guy beat this guy, and now thus, this guy is now this. You know, simple mathematical equation. But I think that conceptually, pound-for-pound pound is a little bit of a different thing. It's not like who is the best fighter right now. It's who has the most skills that would translate to the most divisions. Who's the most well-rounded? Who... You know, if you took Alexander Volkanovsky and he was 265 pounds and was fighting at heavyweight with his current skill set, would he be the best heavyweight on the planet? I, I would argue probably. Like, I think that that version of Volkanovsky might not have the best striking, that the most powerful striking of all the heavyweights, but I think that his well-rounded game, I think his durability, I think his cardio, I think his wrestling would put him in a position to win in that division. If you took Volkanovsky and you put his skill set at flyweight, I think he probably could could give Brandon Moreno a run for his money or beat Brandon Moreno. I think that he just has, he's such a well-rounded fighter. And I think you could probably say the same for Makhachev. Like, I think Makhachev, you look at his skill set, and I think it translates really well to all the other divisions right now, too. But I think that because Volkanovsky moved up a division, he's at a disadvantage. I think the reason why Makhachev won that fight was because the size did ultimately matter. He landed shots against Volkanovsky that stung him, that hurt him, that he acknowledged hurt him during the fight. He was able to neutralize Volkanovski on the ground because he was a lot bigger than him. Bigger, longer, stronger. All of those things matter when it comes to a fight where a fighter is moving up a weight class, especially against a more grappling-based fighter. So, under those circumstances, you look at this fight, nobody has come that close to beating Islam Makhachev, of course, with the exception of Adriana Martins, who knocked him out. But, went five rounds with him. It was a very close fight. He moved up a weight class to do it. So if you took Makhachev and he moved down a weight class to 145, a depleted Makhachev, how does that version of Makhachev do against Volkanovsky? Like if Volkanovsky wins that fight, is he the best pound-for-pound guy now? It's an interesting conversation. Because I think that based on what we saw from Volkanovsky, you can still call him the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. And I posted this on Twitter to kind of get people's impressions on this. Can you say that Islam Makhachev right now is the best fighter in the world and Alexander Volkanovsky is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, and those two things both be true. And I, I believe you can make that case. I, I don't think this is necessarily a hot take. You might consider it one. But I think if you took number one versus number two in every division, and you, you put them up against each other, if you look at who, how big of a favorite, and, and this doesn't necessarily apply across the board, there's some nuance to it because some divisions are just way stronger than other divisions. and You kind of have to take that into account. But if you were to take the champion, if you take Moreno, you put him against the next best guy. In fact, I think Moreno might be the underdog against Pantoja. If you take Sterling and you put him against whoever you think the next best guy is, whether you think it's Cejudo, whether you think it's Jan again, I think Sterling might be the underdog. Then if you look at 45 and you put Volkanovski against Yair Rodriguez or Max Holloway again, I think the line is closer for Holloway, I think, but I think Volkanovski is still probably minus 275, minus 300 against Holloway. I think he'll probably be minus 350 range against Yair. And then you look at Islam Makhachev, and you put him against the, the next best 
guy, let's say it's Poirier, for argument's sake, Islam is probably a minus 400, minus 450 favorite against Poirier. Does that mean that he's the best in the sport? I don't know. But he's that much better than his contemporaries. Leon's an underdog against Usman. Can't make the case for him. Middleweight, I think that Pereira might be an underdog against... Well, he's already an underdog against Israel. I think he's an underdog against Whitaker as well. Can't make the case for him. 205, Jamal Hill against Yuri. Close line. Can't really make the case for Jamal. In fact, Yuri never dropped the title either. So there's some, you know, dynamics at play there. And then you look at heavyweight. Francis Ngannou, if he was still there, I don't think would be a very big favorite, if a favorite at all over John Jones. Cyril Ghosn is... I believe a small underdog against John Jones at the moment. I could I can go and check. Let's take a quick look. I'm pretty certain that John Jones is a small favorite. Yeah. No, John Jones, yeah, John Jones is a minus 146 favorite on FanDuel right now. Gone plus 124. So and then if you want to go to the the women's side, I mean Valentina against like you might think Valentina is the best right now but in terms of pound for pound is she ahead of Nunez like she lost twice to Nunez I actually don't even know if she's let me see look at the women's pound for pound right now it might be Valentina in terms of pound for pound but we've seen Valentina against Nunez twice and she lost twice no Nunez sorry Nunez is the number one pound for pound right now and I think Nunez against the next best bantamweight like forget about it she's probably minus 500 even against Pena, if they fought again, probably minus 400, minus 500 at this point in time. Against Aldana, minus 400, minus 500. And then you look at Shevchenko. If she were to fight Tyler Santos again, probably minus 250, minus 300. I mean, I might be wrong. But given how we saw Tyler Santos face her, what is she against Grasso? What are the odds there? I just had the, uh, that card up. Yeah, so, so Shevchenko's a massive favorite against Grasso, minus 620. So... Like, even if you look at it from that standpoint, I think Zhang Veili probably against Rose. Rose might be a small favorite there. So, I mean, it's it's really difficult to determine. But it's an interesting way to look at it, for sure. Because um, pound for pound, I think, is different than best. If, you, if I don't know if that's convoluted or weird, but both of them are kind of irrelevant because, like, fighters from other weight classes, except for in the rare instances like this past weekend, you, you, they're not typically going to fight each other. So it's hard to say. But think of it this way. And somebody pointed this out to me on social media. I thought it was a really interesting point. When Israel moved up to 205 and fought Jan Blachowicz and lost, Blachowicz didn't jump Israel in the pound-for-pound rankings. Didn't affect him that much because he moved up. When you move up, there's a little bit of cushion there when you're talking about pound-for-pound. I think if you move down, it's different. If you move down and you beat somebody, like if TJ Dillashaw went down and beat Henry Cejudo, for example, when he went down to 25, yeah. Maybe you start talking about TJ Dillashaw like he's the best pound for pound at that time. Not now, at that time. So it makes it an interesting conversation, but one that I think is very convoluted and always has been and will continue to be. So uh, thank you for coming along on that roller coaster stream of thought exercise with me. I appreciate you. But uh, whatever the case might may be, Islam Makhachev is your champion. Not really a clear number one contender right now at 55, but you've got Charles Oliveira taking on Daniel Darius, at least rumored to be taking on Daniel Darius. I believe it's UFC 288 in May. 
um, location TBD, date TBD. And then you look at Volkanovski. He has his next challenger. He's in the co-main event. You had Yair Rodriguez finishing Josh Emmett by a triangle choke late in the second round. Man, Yair looked great. Looked great. Uh, probably the best performance he's ever had. I mean, the performance against Max Holloway where he lost that fight was a phenomenal performance. But against Josh Emmett, I mean, Josh Emmett, you know, did well at the end of that first round. But, man, Yair was tagging with those body shots and... uh they added up big time. But Yair by triangle choke. Odds on him to win by submission on FanDuel were plus 1,500. Not really known for his submission, but somebody whose ground game has gotten better and better and better as time's gone on. I think that that loss to Frankie Edgar all those years ago that people seem to never forget about when it comes to Yair Rodriguez because that was kind of the fight that would determine at that time if he was ready to go to that next level. And at that time, he was not. It was probably only 24 years old or something like, like that at the time. But uh, Yair Rodriguez has really worked on his all-around game. I think that's probably the last chance Josh Emma's going to get for a crack at becoming a champion in the UFC. He's turning 38 soon. I think he's had a great career, but Yair Rodriguez was just simply a step ahead of him in that fight, showing off all of those different weapons that he has. Um, and, man, he, he came. He came to party that night. He was, uh, he was certainly looking like he would not be denied and just had that face of determination as the whole fight went on. Really a tremendous performance for Ayaya Rodriguez and uh, one for the ages for him. Excellent. And he will challenge Alexander Volkanovsky. If I had to guess the odds for that one, I don't think they're out yet, but uh, I would say Volkanovsky is going to be minus 350, minus 400. I don't know if they've got odds for that out just yet. Let's check, take a quick look. Um, no. Oh, yeah, they do. So Volkanovski opened as a uh, minus 500 favorite. So it's even higher than I thought it was going to be. But uh, yeah, that's where we're at with uh, with Volkanovski. And um, and that, again, that's just an early line. It's one of those ones with limits. We'll see as it gets closer what the, what the real line is for the most part, if you want to call it the real line, where the real line where they're actually taking like whatever big action on it. We'll see how it moves. But I, I expect it to stay in the 400 to 500 range for Volkanovski. He's just, I mean, he's just something else. Even though he lost that fight, you walk away from that car just thinking, man, this guy is good. Because if you look at Makachev, I think I put up a stat where Makachev had previous to this fight absorbed like 112 significant strikes in his 13-fight UFC career. And against Volkanovski, he absorbed like 71. It's like he gave Makachev everything he could handle. And uh, while he did fall short, that fight was just... An unbelievable fight. As for the rest of the card, we can get through that a little bit quickly. Jack Della Maddalena defeats Randy Brown. This was a... Man, this guy just keeps showing out. Round one win after round one win after round one win for this guy, Jack Della Maddalena. His boxing is so crisp. And he just waited. Waited and waited and waited. And then as soon as he found that opening and saw that opening, he seized the moment and uh, dropped Randy Brown. Randy Brown fell on his face, basically. Jack Della Maddalena starts uh, landing ground and pound, transitions to the back, rear naked choke against Randy Brown. Phenomenal win for him, because Randy Brown is a really good fighter. Like, um, you know, this this fight to me was like a real litmus test for Jack Della Maddalena, because I, uh, I wasn't sure how he'd do, because the level of competition he's fought is not anywhere near Randy Brown thus far in his UFC career. 
and he passed that test with absolute flying colors. Aced it. A+. I can't wait to see what's next for this guy. He is so good. So, so good. If you put him up against a lot of these ranked 170-pounders, I think he's a, he's a favorite against a lot of them. Showing a lot of upside. Good uh, to have a new contender from Australia moving up the ranks. Speaking of Australia, Justin Taffa, native of Australia, I believe. Uh, although he might live in New Zealand now, but he's, I think he cross-trains at City Kickboxing. He gets a win over Parker Porter. Minute and five seconds into the first round, lands a counter left. Step back. Counter. Beautiful. Puts Parker Porter out. And uh, great win for him in, in Australia. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to Dan Tom before the event, and I said, if you want to bet this fight, you either bet on Tafa to win in round one, I think it was like plus 340, or you bet on Porter to win a decision, which was like plus 380 or something like that. I said, th- th- those are probably the two most probable outcomes. If you take both of those, you're probably going to come out a winner. And uh, I was right about the Tafa outcome. Jimmy Crute, Alonzo Menafield ends in a majority draw. Uh, probably the right decision. Um... I thought that Menafield won the first two rounds. And uh, Crute won the third round 10-8 as there was a point deducted from Menafield. So that ultimately leads to a, a draw. And, um, you know, I got my bet on this fight right, which was the fight starts round two. But I was way off on how it would happen. I thought that these guys were going to kind of, you know, keep it uh, cautious and, you know, really feel each other out in that first round. I was wrong on that. Those guys were both looking for the finish like early. They they both went uh they both showed out early and uh, tried to get the other one out of there. Um kudos to both of them for staying in that fight. Uh namely Krut because he he took a real beating in that fight. Modestus Bukowskis, another one of my picks, plus 200, ends up defeating Tyson Pedro. Um and my analysis on that one was spot on. You know, Pedro since coming back from injury hadn't really been tested. He was facing guys that he was a massive favorite against. And uh, he ended up being a pretty sizable favorite here as well. Not quite as sizable. But I thought that Modeskis Bukowskis was uh, a guy that was going to give Tyson Pedro a run for his money. And he did, winning a unanimous decision. Um, close fight, but I thought that they got it right. Uh, Josh Kulabau, beautiful transition to a rear naked choke against Melsic Bagdasarian. Uh, Bagdasarian won that first round, did a lot of really good things on the feet. But uh, Kulabau would not be denied in his uh, home country ended up get, getting to Bagdasarian's back and uh, in a very, really creative fashion and getting a rear naked choke. Great win for Josh Kulabau. Clayton Rodriguez defeats Shannon Ross in under one minute. Uh, not the most surprising result. You know, Ross probably only got this fight because he's from Australia. No disrespect to the guy, but uh, lost on Contender Series. I don't think he has, he's had a win in like three years or something along those lines. Let, let me just take a quick look. I, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Yeah, his last win was against Donovan Frillo at the end of 2020. And Frillo's a good fighter, but uh, hasn't won a fight in uh, just over two years. So, got into the UFC off of a loss off Contender Series. And Clayton Rodriguez looked great in Contender Series, stumbled in his first UFC fight against CJ Vergara, and in this one uh, ends up making sure that he's not going to be denied by scoring an early finish. Uh, Jamie Malarkey defeats Francisco Prado by unanimous decision. You know, Malarkey's showing a lot of great tools to his game. Very well-rounded. 
Um, he called out Patty Pimblett afterwards. I thought that was a great call out because that's probably a, a good progression for Patty Pimblett. Like he had a lot, his hands full with Jared Gordon. Most people, I think, thought Jared Gordon won that fight. Uh, but uh, Jamie Malarkey, I think, is probably around the same level as a, a Jared Gordon. Like I think if Malarkey and Gordon faced each other, Malarkey might be a small favorite. Um, and I think that Patty Pimblett against Malarkey would be a really good logical next step for Patty Pimblett. Uh, Jack Jenkins defeats Don Shanus. Um, unanimous decision victory. I thought that Don Shanus looked quite good in this fight, to be honest, um, considering how big of an underdog he was. But Jack Jenkins has a lot of tools, kicks like a horse. Um, I think he's just going to keep getting better. So uh, I thought that was a good test for him in his first UFC fight. But um, I thought that I expected him to look better than he did, to be, to be, fi- to be fair and be honest. But I thought that he looked uh, pretty good overall. Loma Luke Boonmi has the first finish of the night, defeating Elise Reed via rear naked choke. Showing off those new wrinkles to her game. She's training with Zhang Vei Li at, um, is it called Bang Tao in, uh, in Thailand? I might have gotten the name of that gym wrong. I think that's what it's called. Something along those lines. Um, and she looked great. And I think that the training with, with someone like Zhang Vei Li, the champion in her division, is, is paying dividends for Loma Luke Boonmi. I thought that she was winning in the stand-up, and then I, once once it went to the ground, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it went really well for her. Blake Builder defeats Shane Young. Uh, I thought Blake Builder did a good job controlling a lot of this fight and uh, was kind of a step ahead of Shane Young as the fight went on. And then the, probably the most controversial moment of the night wasn't in the main event. It was in the first fight of the night. Elvez Brenner defeats Zubairo Tehugov by split decision. You know, the commentators were talking like this was a slam dunk for Tehugov. i, I got to go back and watch it. Uh, to me, it looked like Tehugov had won that fight, but I wasn't, um, to be fair, watching it quite as keenly as I was the main event. So uh, I will have to go back and check that one out. But uh, not a good look for Tehugov. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets cut after this. Missed weight at 55 after missing weight several times at 45 previously and then losing to a, a newcomer where he was like a minus 600 favorite. Yeah, that doesn't... Uh, doesn't really uh, look good on your resume when something along those lines happens. And that wraps up UFC 284. Uh, I thought it was a great card overall. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I hope that uh, hope that people understand that we're not going to get fights like that that often, where you get number one versus number two pound for pound, and see it's it's you know basically over deliver. You know if if you looked at the odds, Makhachev was expected to roll. And uh, Volkanovski kept it really close. So kudos to him. I thought it was a great performance by both fighters, really. You know, I thought we got to see really the best of both of them. And it was uh, an awesome fight. And I can't wait to see what's next for both of them. That's, you know, I'd love to see a rematch. But uh, I, don't, I don't think they're going to continue to stall two divisions in order to, to get one. So we will, uh, we will see. And I think that maybe we see the fight again down the road. You know, I think that... It, if we see Volkanovski dominate Yair Rodriguez, if we see Makachev dominate whatever, maybe the winner of Darius and um, Oliveira, or maybe it's McGregor, who knows what it's going to be. Uh, I think that we're going to see um, potentially a rematch down the road if they both maintain the level of dominance that they've had thus far in their divisions. In terms of uh, news this week, I'm trying to think if there's anything that we uh, that we really need to discuss. Uh, I guess what we one big story we're going to discuss, of course, is this weekend's UFC Fight Night card between uh, Jessica Andrade 
and Aaron Blanchfield. And, uh, you know, if you haven't been following along, I say Jessica Andrade because Andrade is now filling in for Tyler Santos and taking on Aaron Blanchfield in the main event of this Saturday's USC Fight Night card on very short notice. I guess Tyler Santos's corner, two of her corner people, including her husband, could not get visas to corner her, and she uh, withdrew from the fight. So they needed somebody to fill in, and I think, I mean, if you were going to give me my pick of any non-champion, Jessica Andrade is high on the list. That's for sure. Who else is there? I mean, if, if let's look at the women's flyweight division. Fiorro's injured or recovering from, from injury, from surgery, I believe. Tyla's not coming. She's number one. And then Andrade's number three. So probably like Andrade or maybe a Chukagian, but I think Andrade makes for the more exciting main event. Against the up-and-coming Blanchfield, who's ranked number 10. Pardon me as I take a sip of my beverage. Um, great fight. Really looking forward to uh, to this one. I think that, that they, you know, if they were going to have to replace... I mean, first off, they've had to replace the, the original main event of this. They moved Sanhagen versus Vera to San Antonio to headline. And um, they needed a main event, and they just escalated Blanchfield versus Tyler Santos. I mean, basically, it was a uh, number one contender's bout for the most part, because if Blanchfield would have beaten Tyler Santos, she becomes probably the number one contender. This fight might also have that, those same stakes where the winner ends up facing Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, Andrade would get a rematch, um, and Blanchfield. Uh, one sec, let me let me just backtrack a little bit. Valentina Shevchenko or Alexa Grasso. I'm not going to write off Alexa Grasso, who is the next challenger. So the winner of that fight um, w- might fight the winner of this fight between Blanchfield and Andrade. Andrade, a minus one eighty four favorite, according to our friends over at FanDuel Canada. The comeback on Aaron Blanchfield is plus one forty two. This is not a good matchup for Aaron Blanchfield. I'm just going to say it like it is. I think that Tyla Santos was a better matchup for her than Jessica Andrade. If you look at Blanchfield's fight, I believe it was against J.J. Aldrich. She was a big favorite in that fight. And in that first round, I mean, she was in some big trouble on the feet against J.J. Aldrich. I don't think she was in in any danger of being finished. But she was, you know, she was losing that round. And they came back and got a finish, I believe it was in the second round. Andrade is a marauder. And um, I think that, again, I just think that right now, this is too much too soon for Aaron Blanchfield. And I think Aaron Blanchfield is an incredible talent. I think she could very well become the champion one day. But I think she's, what, 20, 21, 22 years old? Against somebody as seasoned as Andrade, who's fought for the title at straw, who's well, was the champion at strawweight, fought for the title at flyweight, and, and fought at bantamweight. Has had a long career. Hasn't taken a ton of damage in her career either. Uh, this is going to be tough skating for Aaron Blanchfield. Um, I think at minus 184, you're actually getting a really good price on Jessica Andrade, to be perfectly honest. Even though it's short notice for her, I don't think she cuts a ton of weight to make 25. This should be a really interesting fight, but yeah, again, I think it's kind of tough skating right now in this spot. It's a really tough adjustment to make to have to train for someone like Andrade, who's going to really pressure her, who is going to be able to stuff takedowns, who is going to be able to defend against submissions. Not that Tyler Santos couldn't do these things, but Tyler Santos is more of a flow fighter. You know, she doesn't have the same kind of aggression that a Jessica Andrade has. 
And I think that's going to be difficult for Erin Blanchfield at this stage of her career to deal with. I think that it's going to be a lot for her to handle. I believe the co-main event in this card is Zach Pauga, the runner-up on the uh, Ultimate Fighter this past season, lost to uh, Mohamed Usman, fighting at light heavyweight, which is a natural weight class, against Jordan Wright. Uh, Pauga is minus 330, Jordan Wright plus 240. I keep having to take Jordan Wright at these prices. Like, plus 240, I'll probably just take Wright first-round knockout, like I like or first-round finish. Like I have in the past, because he's kind of a first rounder bust fighter, and like you might want to just take Jordan Wright wins in round one and Zach Pauga wins in round two. <laughs> like I think those are probably the uh, the most likely outcomes here, because Wright is so dangerous in the first round. But if you can get out of that first round with him, it tends to slow down dramatically. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, this is a runner up on the Ultimate Fighter, which wasn't a particularly strong season of the Ultimate Fighter. This big of a favorite against Jordan Wright. I'm going to have to go with uh, the Beverly Hills Ninja in this case. Jordan Wright. I think the value side is there for him. Uh, William Knight and Marcin Pracniel, basically a pick em. Knight, a very small dog on fan duels. Minus 115 Pracniel. Minus 111 Knight. I- I'm going to go with Pracniel. I think that the range of Pracniel is going to give Knight a lot of problems. Um, I haven't loved what I've seen from William Knight in recent fights. And I think that Pragnio has actually shown quite a bit of improvement, which w- wasn't difficult because early on in his career he really struggled. But I think we're seeing a new Martin Pragnio. I actually think that he is the side in this particular fight. Uh, Alexander Hernandez, minus 248, or sorry, 245. Jim Miller, plus 186. Hernandez taking this fight on very short notice as well. I think this one might be a dogger pass also. I, I don't have a uh, a great feel for this one. Jim Miller has a full camp. Hernandez... Short notice, uh, you know, he, he can make 155 with relative ease, I believe. Going back up to 55, I think he had a cup of coffee at 45. Fought Belly Quarantillo and lost. But uh, I'm going to go with Jim Miller here as an underdog. I don't, I don't know if I take the submission prop or what, but uh, I understand why Hernandez is favored. I just haven't loved what I've seen from him as of late either. It's a tough fight, though, for Jim Miller. Uh, Jamal Pogues, minus 245. Josh Parisian, plus 186. Whew. These underdog prices are really good on this card. Like, I'd probably go Parisian at plus 186 here. I, th- I think Jamal Pogues is a good fighter. But uh, on Contender Series, he, he beat Paulo Hanato Jr. But he's like three years removed from a loss to Alex Polizzi in LFA. Who's a championship bout, mind you, but has won twice on the contender series since 2019. Earned the contract in his last uh, win. And against a guy like Josh, I mean, Josh Parisian, he's a crafty fighter. I'm going to go with Parisian at plus 186. This is one of those ones where you might want to just do a round robin of some of these uh, underdogs and, and see how it goes. Uh, Nazim Sadikov taking on Evan Elder, uh, Elder. I don't really have a good read on this one. Both these guys are. You know, haven't fought the best level of competition. And I think that's kind of why they're matched up. So this one is just an altogether pass for me. Um, unfortunately. We have um, Lena Landsberg taking on Myra Bueno Silva. I like the Bueno Silva by uh, by submission prop if I can find it uh, once that comes up. 
if you know what that hasn't come out yet but i think that's probably the way that i would approach this one she's a minus 440 favorite against lena landsberg i expect her to uh to win this fight inside the distance so we'll see what those props uh are uh kusain ashkabov undefeated 23 and 0 against jamal emmers i was surprised the line was this thin because you see someone like ashkabov training at american top team fighting you know coming from uh from grozny chechnya where you've seen a lot of great fighters come out of that 23 fight, 23 wins in a row, or sorry, yeah, 23 wins in a row against Jamal Emmers, who hasn't looked great in the UFC. Lost to uh, Pat Sabatini, win over Vince Cachero, who's not in the uh, promotion anymore. Lost to a uh, Giga Chikadze, albeit a split decision. Hasn't been very active. Has only fought three times, so basically once per year. He didn't he fought twice in 2020, once in 2021, and then had a canceled fight in 2022. So he. Uh, Hasn't fought much. And Ashkabob hasn't fought since... He hasn't fought in three years, basically. Was supposed to fight Joe, Joe Anderson Brito on Contender Series. Couldn't due to a visa issue. Was supposed to face Herbert Burns in July. And uh, had to withdraw from that as well. So he, too, has a little bit of cage rust. So um, I would probably side Ash, uh, Ashkabov. 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 Not really sure how to pronounce it. I'll know more once it's pronounced uh, this weekend. Probably go with him. Uh, Ovin St. Prue taking on Felipe Linz. Linz is a pretty sizable favorite here, too. I'm not a big Felipe Linz believer, but uh, at this stage in his career, I'm not sure how much Ovin St. Prue brings to the table. I might see what the St. Prue KO prop is, but uh, I'm probably going to stay away from this one altogether. We've got... Uh, I mentioned the Sadikov versus Elder fight. Don't really have a good read on that one. AJ Fletcher. I've been so high on this guy, and he hasn't been able to, to get it done yet. Taking on Themba Garimbo. He's a minus 250 favorite. I don't know if I can go with AJ Fletcher again. Might have to sit this one out. I keep taking him, and he keeps losing. But I, I, I really like his fight style. and I, I love his aggression. I love his finishing instincts. I love that he's always looking for the finish. Just can't do it. And uh, Juan Camilo Ronderos taking on Clayton Carpenter. Carpenter, 6-0, 26 years old. Uh, had a really good decision win on the Contender Series. And uh, Ronderos, 4-1, lost to David Dvorak in his UFC debut, which I believe he took on short notice. Um, must have, because he had a uh, an LFA fight lined up that he, I think, withdrew from to take this fight against Dvorak. Um, Ronderos hasn't fought in uh, nearly two years as well. So understand why Carpenter is a, a sizable favorite here at minus 340. I thought he looked really good on a contender series. So that's this weekend's card. Um, not necessarily the most spectacular card, but uh, a card nonetheless. In terms of this weekend, we do have uh, Anthony Romero fighting on the contender series on uh, on Friday. So check that out if you're in Canada and you want to see uh, one of Canada's young up-and-coming talents uh Compete. He's uh, he's a fun one to watch. Nice to uh, see. Always nice to see Canadians on the rise. And is there no card next week? Are we? Uh, do we have a week off already next week? I feel like we don't, but maybe we do. Let's see. No, we've got Krilov and Span next week. Looking at the uh, look ahead on uh, best fight odds and didn't see an event. So Krilov versus Span is uh, next week. Some good fights on that card, actually. you got uh, Andre Muniz against Brendan Allen. I, I love that fight. Tatiana Suarez making her, her return against Montana De La Rosa, knock on wood. We've got two, two nice Canadian boys tangling. Mike Malott against Johan Linus. 
Jasmine Jasu the Vicious back in uh, action. So uh, yeah, there's some some good fights on that card. I like what I see. So uh, there you have it. That is uh, UFC Fight Night, Andrade versus Blanchfield, and one that I I think is is worth your time. Uh, especially that main event. I think it's an interesting main event. But you know what? I think every UFC, if, if you take any UFC matchups, it's worth your time. It's like the highest of the high level in MMA. We've also got Todd Duffy uh, making his... Uh, oh, that's next week. Sorry. Against uh, Phil DeFreeze. That's next weekend. He's uh, facing him for the uh, heavyweight... Rematch for the heavyweight championship. Haven't seen Todd Duffy in action in some time. I think that's about it. I'm trying to think if there's a... Uh, any other big stories that uh, we need to touch upon here? We did uh, some some news on the um, on the management front. I think I might have mentioned this last week, but uh, Tim Simpson, who is a uh, a top agent, has started his own agency called Chosen Advisory Group, and uh, he's going to be representing, continuing to represent uh, Israel Adesanya, Leon Edwards, and Yiri Prokashka. Also. Uh, Max Holloway is going to be represented by him, which is the big news for uh, Tim Simpson. Nice, nice guy, Tim Simpson. Uh, wishing him uh, him the best of success. So, I think that's about it. I'm not sure if we've uh, there's been any other big news in the, the world of MMA recently. At least that I didn't touch upon on last week's show. Seems like this past week has been really uh, geared towards getting everybody hyped for UFC 284. Um, one one news story: uh, Jens Pulver is getting inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. I should definitely touch on that one because uh, you know Jens Pulver is not necessarily a household name among, I guess, newer MMA fans. I think that um, he's someone that I don't think people understand really the history with Jens Pulver. So Jens Pulver was really the guy who kind of put the lightweight division on the map for the UFC. There was a time where there, there wasn't a lightweight division for some time. He fought in the WEC for a while. And uh, basically was in the, uh, he was part of the, the really the early part of the uh, UFC's lightweight division before it dissolved and then eventually came back. And... Um, a big part of the UFC's early history. He won he's the uh the first lightweight champion, beat Cal Uno at UFC thirty, and then actually defeated Dennis Hallman and BJ Penn, which were two really big wins at the time. Um then the division kind of folded, ended up fighting all over the place, Pride, WEC, then came back to the UFC for a bit. Uh sorry, before going to the WEC and going down to Featherweight and uh facing Uriah Faber for the featherweight championship, but just a really a pioneer of the sport, and he's going in the pioneer's wing, and he, he belongs there. He's somebody that I'm glad we're finally getting to see his just due. I feel really old when, when I see that he's 48 years old, but he was fighting like when I was when I was quite young, right? He was fighting in 1999, so I, I kind of get it, I guess. But uh, yeah, congratulations to Jens Pulver. I know this means a lot to him, and uh, he's been he's been really trying to get into the Hall of Fame for a while, kind of lobbying for himself, um, as has his manager, Brian Butler. So congratulations to him. Uh, a, a massive honor, I'm sure, 
and uh, very, very much well-deserved for uh, Jens Pulver. Uh, that's it for us this week. If you want to check out the interview edition of the TSN MMA show, uh, that'll be up later on in the week on our podcast feed. Interviews with, uh, for now, Aaron Blanchfield, Jessica Andrade, and I believe William Knight is joining us as well. So that's who you can expect to hear from. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate you. And until next week, actually, why don't I give you a little, uh, quick little recap of my TSN Edge picks, just because they did well. I always like to uh, to celebrate the victories. So the one part of the card that I did not do well on was the very first fight. I uh, I took uh, Zubaira to Hugov to win by submission. And I also picked the fight to not go the distance. And both of those things, uh, well, he did not win the submission. And the fight did go the distance. So those those lost. But then from there, we did well. I took Josh Kulabau straight up. Modestus Bukowskis straight up. Krut Menefield starts round two. Parlayed with Volk and Makhachev uh, starts round three. So it was a pretty good night overall. Nice to hit those two uh, underdogs in Kulabau and Bukowskis. Although Kulabau a very small underdog. Basically an even money fight. So those were our uh, TSN Edge recommended plays. And uh, they did well. So, uh, yeah, pat myself on the back. A little Barry Horowitz to end the show. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you for tuning in. Uh, please rate and review the show wherever podcasts are found. And if you're tuning in on uh, TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa, I appreciate you as well. If you want to hear a longer version of the show or the interview edition, please subscribe to the podcast as well. Until next week, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.